Okay, good. Oh, yeah. So now it's recording. Okay, so just to summarize quickly for the recording. So I said always, all my life, I was always wondering if, if every time a chacham in the world would get a certain halacha correctly all the time and never ever get it wrong, but they always have the correct halacha for the wrong reason, but Hashem changed the Torah. Okay, one question. But now, I mean, and the Mishnah, the Mishnah tells us that if there's no das, there's no bina, no bina, no das, the Pharisee Shiro learns if there's no Das, if you don't have the data, the sense perception, you can't have Bina, you can't have the syllogism, you don't have, the, you don't have Bina, the syllogism, you don't have the sense of the data. So it's easy enough to say the first direction, I'm just summarizing quickly because I said that part already. So now, the, the first part's easy. If you don't have the facts, you're not going to, no matter how valid your syllogism is, it doesn't matter, no, because if you if the facts are wrong, the facts are wrong. Yeah, it's garbage in, garbage out. It doesn't matter. You have the best the best fact the, the best syllogism, but the facts are wrong. You're going to come to the wrong conclusion. There's nothing to talk about. If you and that's what that's what everybody knows. That's the problem with computers. <coughs> computers will do an exquisite job of analyzing what you tell it, but but the computer has no control. If you tell it the wrong thing, the computer will happily compute the the correct answer that's false. Nothing they can do. You, whatever you tell it, that's what it knows. So it's that's easy enough. That and that that's easy enough. If you don't have the facts, so you don't have the um, you're not going to have the conclusion. Uh, uh, the conclusion's not going to be good. And if you don't have the if you don't have the on the other hand, um, it sounds like you don't have the syllogism. You're not going to have the facts. Now that's a problem. What do you mean? And if I don't syllogize, I don't have any facts. So this is similar to something I've said many times, uh, and I believe. And that is, remember, you've heard me say all the time, you always have to know the source of whatever, no matter who says what, no rabbi in the world has any authority other than that they, that they show you came from the Torah. The one, the one rabbi who had authority was still not on his own, because Moshe Rabbeinu said, because God said, that's all. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have to say, because God said, and here's the source. Moshe Rabbeinu, God, 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 Hashem, Hashem decided Moshe Rabbeinu would reveal the Torah. Whatever God told Moshe, that's what he told the people. He didn't have to say further than that. He said, God told me, that's all. So Moshe's, uh, Moshe's, um, a certification is the fact that Hashem told us to listen to him. Whatever he said, God said. God said. But he said, you don't have to go and, and bring a raya to what he said. But every other rabbi in history, there's nobody gets the right to say, listen, I'm the rabbi, and I and I uh, I said, you don't get to say that. You say, well, when it comes to the, 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 uh, um, enactments or decrees, that's that's not what we're talking about, obviously. But nobody can say, listen to Allah, because I said. The Allah is because he showed me. That's what the Torah said. That's what the tradition said. A prophet has a right to say things because he's the prophet. Because, but that's also after after we we, we apply the science of uh, the Torah science of vetting the prophet. So then the prophet, whatever he tells, tells us to kill somebody or whatever. Okay, good. The prophet says break Shabbos. But that's a different story. Really. That's that that is the halach. Halach is he doesn't have to bring any source other than saying that that's what he understands according to his prophecy. Okay, good. That's what he said he has to do. He's the prophet. He knows. Okay, but in general, so he, he, everybody has to bring a source. So now. To tell me, so if you tell me that, um, so so I've said in the past very many times, I believe why you have to always know everybody's source. I said, forget about the fact that we have to that we have authenticate, we have to certify what the person said. No rabbi in his own authority can tell me that that's what God said. He has to show me that's what God said. He's a Mishnah, a Gemara, a Pasuk. You have to show me. You have to show me. There's no such thing as that as the rabbi said. The rabbi's not the source. The Torah is the source. You can't tell me the rabbi said. You can tell me the rabbi said if it's your rabbi. But even that, that's not the source. Because we understand, we, we, we trust our rabbi. We know the rabbi doesn't tell us anything without a source. But, uh, but nobody is legitimate without a source, period. There's no such thing. So now, with that being said, I say to you, if you don't know a person's source, there are two problems. 
Forget about the problem of you don't know if it's authentic or certified what they said. But there's a worse problem. And that is, I don't know if I know, I don't think I argue, I don't know what they said. Until I see, and I've had, first of all, I know from experience. How many times do you learn a Gemara, and when you finally see what, how the Gemara derived what it said, you realize you never understood what the Gemara said to start with. Until you looked and saw how the Gemara derived it, you don't know how, you, don't, you realize you didn't understand what it was saying. So I claim all the time, there's two problems with sources. One, I have to know that it's, that it's, that it's authenticated, that it's certified. And that's not that because I mistrust the teacher, period. But I mean, that's the law. The teacher, the teacher's legitimacy is, is that is that they bring a source. That's what the person thinking. That's what he says. I told you there's a, there's a great place where Goldberg Zetzal showed me in the Hassan Sofer, where he has a certain he he, he for whatever he argues a, a more for a more lenient practice than the Ramah. So he apparently somebody writes to the Hasam Sofer. He says, "Listen, you said good. What are you afraid of the Ramah? Because the Ramah said differently." So he writes back. He says, "As what he said, as, as and as to what you said, am I afraid of the Ramah?" He said, "Yes, I'm afraid of the Ramah." That's my that's my that's that's my that's my glory. That's my claim to fame that I'm afraid of the Ramah. What do you? Yes, I'm afraid of the Ramah. Here's number one. Every rabbi, we have to be sourced, have to be sourced properly and authenticated. But besides that, I'm, I claim the other. I don't even know what the person said. If I don't see where, how they drive it, I don't know if I understood what they said. Bechlal, when you get it, when you have a statement to face value, very once in a while it works. But you know who says you understand what the person saying? Bechlal. So that's the second problem. So one way is to say that what without the one way is to say that without the uh, syllogism. And having and having taken notes, having seen the ramifications, if this is true, what else is true? I don't really understand the this. That's my humble opinion. If those, if you haven't done the exercise of seeing what else is true or not true, if this is true or not true, that's really what happens when you make a syllogism. You understand if this is true, what else would be true? In fact, some, one of the ways that we know something's not true is because we see that something has to be true. If this is true, can't possibly be true. That's one of the ways that we. That's one of the ways that we analyze. Here, here, you heard a say. You heard a statement. One of the ways I know a statement is not true because if it's true, something else has to be true that can't possibly be true. So how can I? How can I deal with any statement? Number one, to know first, certainly in terms of knowing truth or falsehood without syllogizing, you can't. I can't possibly know. That's one. But a second point is like this. A, a, a second point is that that I claim I don't really understand what it was. If I understand the import, the import of a sentence, I understand what the sentence said. If you if you had thought about the ramifications of the sentence, you would have never said it. Somehow, in a very mindless, isolated echo chamber type of way, you might be satisfied with that sentence. But if you thought about it, you never would be. You would never say such a thing. Okay, so that direction is not so hard. So I say to you, I can understand that without the without the bina, there's no das. Good, but I can't tell if there's no das, there's no bina. Pardon me. So that's number one. But what? Do you, but what's the other? You tell me if there's no premises, you can't make syllogism. Of course. What? 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 Non thing. What person would think otherwise? Do I think that? Do I think that I can make? I can make analyses with false premises? Who would think such a thing? That bothered me. And so it occurs to me to say the following, and that is that, that, one second, you know, first of all, and we all do, by the way, and there's, and I'm not going to discount this. There's a place where we may, where we may make syllogisms on a premise that ultimately is false. But why? Because one of the ways of knowing whether a premise is true or false, like I just told you, is to make the syllogisms. Okay, 
So I can't, I won't know if this premise is true or false if I don't analyze. Okay, good. But I want to say that, so, so we certainly do. But let's say the other way. What about when I know a premise is false? I know it's false. I know there's no such premise. There's no such fact in this universe. Now, will I do it? So I would say then, even though, that's what I would say, would be a hava meaning here to explain the Mishnah, would be that, according to this understanding, would be that, you know what? We don't do it. And I'll tell you why it makes sense to me. Because I'll tell you why it makes sense to me. Because, because life is about, about the Hashem gave me this world. The whole world is here for me. And I say to you, just like I say, whatever's here is here for me, and whatever's for me is here. But that's an olam haba. That's not what I'm talking about. But I say, if there was, if there's a purpose, if there's something for me to analyze in this world, it's here. And when it's not here, it's not necessary because the, because whatever was supposed to be here is here. If if God wanted me to have it, it would have been here. And therefore, I'd have to say, well, let's let's let me take a false premise and analyze and see what I see what wisdom will gain. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. Making valid syllogisms about false premises is going to lead nowhere. Why? Because I believe in God. And I believe he made this world for me. That's what I just wanted to, to, just to, to push through on this particular point. The first question I didn't really answer, but it may have ramifications. So I say to you, what, whatever is here is for me. And whatever is for me is here. That's my humble opinion. And therefore, it can't be, don't tell me that what, that I should be dealing with a premise that's not a fact in, a fact in our universe, but it will still yield wisdom. I don't, th- wisdom, I don't think so. Because if it was supposed to, it would have been here. And that's the message from God. God, God didn't make the world for, for me and other things. He made it for me. Oh, be, be, be me, be you, us. This world was made for us. So I'm not going to believe it. And anything that was for my advancement is here. And so there's not going to be a, 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 so a, a premise that doesn't exist in this universe is never going to need to be analyzed. That's what, it, that's what occurs to me. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the one point. So, okay, that's a, that's a first interesting point. But I'm just thinking that at some point, that's why I have complete, we have faith, in, I have faith in God. And I believe, he, I believe the world was synthesized for my benefit and not for anything else's benefit, by the way. That's what this world's about. And therefore, whatever's, whatever's for me is here. Whatever's not here is not for me and not for anybody to tell you the truth. <laughs> that's one point. And that's why a person can live, in my humble opinion, can live confidently. I'm just going to repeat something I've said in the past and I think it's very important. Like everybody wants to be successful. Whatever that means, without, without any sarcasm. Whatever you call success, but you want to live successfully, take advantage of this life, take advantage of every moment. Every, every, everybody, everybody healthy person does, and everybody doesn't is not healthy. It's a problem. I tell you, I once was talking to a very intelligent woman, a high-level social worker in Israel. So I said to her, I said, you know, I want to get the most out of every moment. So she looked at me quizzically. She's not religious. She says, she says you know, we, meaning we non-religious people, we say the same thing, but you mean something different. I said, no, I mean exactly the same thing. My ideas about what, how to go about it, that's a different story. Everybody wants that. What healthy person doesn't want to be successful, get the most out of life, take advantage of everything God put into this world? That's natural. If a person does something's wrong. So certainly we want to. But, um, but uh, and, 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 uh, uh, every, and I say the whole world was put here for that purpose. And I have the faith in God. That's what it is. And therefore, I would say, oh, so I didn't explain my point. So, so now when it comes to being successful, I don't have to do anything except for fulfill the Torah. 
Nobody could possibly calculate here of all the millions of people in the world. Who should you say hello to? Who should you shake hands with? Who should you say Shalom Aleichem to? Where should you go? Should I go to Europe? Should I go to Australia? Should I go to Austria to say Shalom Aleichem to Jewish people? Or to greet a, to greet a non-Jew in the Shuk? Where do I go? Which, which of the billions of possible experiences in this world should I be seeking or choosing? The answer is none. Other than to fulfill the turn of the mitzvahs. And therefore, and the, and the permutations, the combination of me trying to, to fulfill the mitzvahs and what Hashem puts in front of me, that'll be the, that will be the perfect formula for the perfection of myself and the world. The odds are impossible to calculate if I would have to do it myself. And the other way, if you doing the Torah, it's 100%. What was it? Impossible odds. Trillions to, to, to one. Now the odds are 100%. Well, make the brachas, uh, uh, make the bracha, uh, uh, shech the animal, uh, uh, learn the Torah, uh, 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 give, the, give the tzedakah, whatever it is, light the candle. My odds go from zero to 100%. That the, the, the perfect formula for the perfection of myself and the world around me is there. A faith in God. Therefore, I just suggested to you to explain that mission that that's right. That, that there's no there's no bina without us. If, if I don't have a true fact, there's no there's no syllogism to make because there's no other theoretical universe that I'm worried about. If it's not true in this universe, it's not it's it's not worth wasting my time because God gave me everything everything that I could possibly want. So that's one point. I want to put another point, which is, it really should be a minor issue, but it's come up a bit. I, I've, been, I've been dealing with it for the last little while. We, you know, it's, it's clear we're on a pathway to perfection. Every one of us is trying to emulate Hashem. And go, we're going, Hashem, this life and, the, and, and, and eternity for the world to come will be an ever, never-ending path of coming closer and closer to the perfection of God. Obviously, never, not getting there. No one's becoming God. And we're going for all of eternity, becoming, becoming more and more like Hashem and never getting there. Good. We know that's eternity. That's a problem because we know that we know that if we strive for perfection, that every moment that we're not perfection is a certain disappointment. So it's a hard problem because then if we're going to say that if the facts are that for an eternity we're going to be approaching godliness, never getting there, so then what makes eternity what makes eternity blissful? Why is eternity an endless Gehenna? Here you have an eternity of endless endlessly coming one step closer to God and endlessly not being there. So why 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 is the person, why, why are you calling that why are you calling that the reward of Olam Haba? You know that you have you, have, you have, it'd be like an eternal Gehenna. Every time the person grows into a new state, they they recognize that they're not there. Okay, it's a kashi. In general, in general, always there's always a problem in any in any system of growth. What is the what is the meaning of the state that's prior to the, the prior to the perfected state? I mentioned a few times that my Rebbe, may rest in peace, was in disagreement with the, there was a very famous Rosh Hashiva, when I was a kid, it was Rav Sarnov of, uh, of Hebron. So they had a, they had a, a, a little volume of Monsieur Sharm that had, uh, I don't remember if he wrote the notes or somebody took, wrote notes according to his uh, classes. But in any case, one of the things that Rav Sarnov said, Zetzal, was that, um, and please, I'm sorry, because I don't have it in front of me, so if I misquote, you should correct it from the book. But essentially, something like that, a person has to complete each one of the steps in Mitzvah Shem before he can really achieve anything in the next. So, so, so if I understood correctly, I can't, I also, I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me, but I think if, if I remember, there was basically that if a person doesn't master Zahiris, they can't, they can't get Nikias. 
So my Rebbe really disagreed with that. And he, 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 and he often discussed a principle which you call a dynamic or dynamic, uh, a dynamic um, function or system where it does it works together. So a person could be five percent of the heroes, five percent of the uh, of uh, of uh, Zrizas, five percent of the kids, etc. You could get five, 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 five. Maybe not the last step, but a person could grow five here, five here, five here, five here, and you continue growing. Because there's always a problem then, because otherwise, if, if we're trying to reach a state of godliness in which we're never going to be there, we're never going to be Hashem, so then how can every state of, of achievement of more closeness to God not be an eternal state of dissatisfaction? So there must be some kind of uh, a completion in the moment. And that's the difficulty. Okay, now, so I, I, I mentioned that there's a couple of things that do indicate that that's the case. First of all, you have to see, you have to, you have to always realize that a thing can be 100% in relation to itself. To give an example, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rushing, I'm traveling, so I'm, I may be a little, a little more, more, um, uh, what's a little more um, less clear, but anyway, the story's like this: that that uh, when I was, you know, my rebbe, you know, I wasn't planning to be a rabbi or to teach. It was my rebbe did it, by the way. It wasn't me. It was my rebbe. I wanted to learn. And so my rebbe told me to teach. He made me, and he made me teach right away from the first minute, from the first day. He made me teach everybody. So uh, I wasn't, I was, I wasn't planning on teaching or being a rabbi. Anyway, so uh, so. Um, Anyway, I started, so I was 20 years old. So everybody was older than me. And a lot older. A lot of those guys were older than me. The guys in their 30s, you know. So so, uh, so I'm sitting and teaching. I was 20 years old. So I got two guys. They're older than me, and they're smarter than me. There's nothing to talk about. You know, so uh, they're older, they're wiser, you know, they've been around. So I'm teaching these two guys, or more, whatever it was. So one of them looks at me and says, he says to me, he says, do you have your Shomayim? Now, now I'm in a pickle. I said, but drive your Shemayim. What am I going to do? I think they, what did they tell us? Chaim Briskin, he says, he says, who learns better, you or your brother? He says, he says, if I say myself, I'll be a Balgaiva. And if I say my brother, I'm going to be a liar. He says, Nu, what'd you accomplish? Now you're a Balgaiva and a liar. He says, so what are we going to do now? The guy says to me, you know, do you have your Shemayim? What am I going to tell him? I'm going to have Gaiva tell oh yeah, I have your Shemayim. Or, and if I, if I say no, Nu, what am I doing teaching him? He's got me, he got me, he got me behind the eight ball. I'm stuck. What am I supposed to do? You know, so by the grace of God or whatever, Hashem help me. And uh, so I looked up at the guy. I said, I said, you know, I said, at my level, I have your Hashem. Hey, the real thing. Uh, that's for big, big, big people. Obviously. But uh, for a person at my level, yes, I have your Hashem. So by the grace of uh, by the grace of Hashem, he said, I, I pulled out of this situation. But there's an idea of of a, of a non hundred percent situation being a hundred percent in its own relative way in itself. You know, saying there's such a there is such an idea. You know, saying that for what it is. And um, and I've seen you know a lot. I, I'll give you two examples that I'm thinking about. But I was talking about the other day. You know, I know people. Forget about people Rachmanis who are sick, who are misers and uh, and stingy and all that. You know, they're not but Rachmanis. It's a, it's a sad thing. You see, but there are people who there are people. I've seen people who are not they're not miserly and they're not and they're, and they're generous. They're people who help other people, but they never get ple- they don't get pleasure from spending money. I've seen people like that. It's not, it doesn't give any pleasure. They don't. They don't get satisfaction. They'll give tzedakah, but they, they don't get pleasure from spending their money. There are people like that. And I've seen the other way. I've seen people who maybe even have less money. But here, the guy, Baruch Hashem, he got enough money to go to the restaurant. He goes, he paid the money, he gave it to him. Ah, he had the time of his life. He, the guy's mom guy's is beaming. He's happy. He didn't go to the best restaurant either. He went to the restaurant that he could afford. He paid the bill. He gave a tip. He's happy. He's happy. Baruch Hashem, give me, give me a cigar. You see, and the guy's happy. Not, no, and there is a there is a happiness in the there is a there's a way to be hundred percent in a moment that's not universally hundred percent, but in the in the in the moment you can be hundred percent in the moment. That's what I that's what I'm, I'm positing and suggesting to you. Now I, I have 
at least two examples to talk about. One of them is Pashid. Here we say, we say, we say, Ezu Asher, and earlier in Abbas, who's an Asher? He says, Asamir Bechalko. That's real. That's not like people think, well, okay, look, I'll be happy with what I have. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what it means. Asamir Bechalko. Guys, wow, this is great. When a guy's able to say Asamir Bechalko, he says, this is wonderful. I'm thrilled with what I got. It fits me perfectly. It's right for my budget. It's right for my thing, etc. Yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. You know, when a guy's making a certain amount of money, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have a. Uh, I don't know what's the most expensive. Whatever it is, he shouldn't have. He shouldn't have a Maserati. He can't afford the mechanic for a Maserati. He can't afford the place to store the the, the thing. He can't afford the uh, the high class maintenance that it did. Who who said it's good for Bichlal? I got a person got a car that fits their budget, fits their place, fits their garage, fits the neighborhood. There's a complete satisfaction. But so, so, so it's a bracha to have that satisfaction. But I'm saying that a person in a state that's not 100%, that don't have all the money, that don't have the best situation, they can be 100% in the moment. And that's what I understand is that Ezra Shara it's a person, a person that's getting 100% the moment in, the, in, in, in a universal sense. The moment's not 100%, but he's got 100% of what the moment is. So there's a perfection. There's a perfection in the moment. There is a Gan Eden. There's a bliss. You could argue that all of them are different. I'm not going to get involved in those details now. But I'm showing we have a model in the Torah. Asia, Asher, Samel, Bechalko. The Gemara means it. The Gemara is not saying a, a cutesy pie word. Oh, this guy's got nothing, but he's rich. Oh, he's the, the happy poor. That's not what it's saying. The Mishnah means it, in my humble opinion. Here, you get 100% out of the moment. You're rich. And the person is. I'm going to tell you, when me and my brother, we came to Israel, you know, we, 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 money was not happening. We used to make Friday night together. We had, uh, we had, some, we had sunflower seeds. We had challah. We had some cheese. We had some uh, syrup to put in the water. We had some wine. We, we felt that we were the kings of the world, and we were. We stayed up all Friday long, and noshing and saying Torah. Till we were giddy. Well, there, there was no, there, nobody. Nobody was bigger or happier than us. I remember. We were so inspired. I, 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 I could I, I think I didn't do it. I, I, I could, I could have flown from the balcony. I could have jumped off the balcony and flown. It's a challah and a couple of pieces of cheese. No, a cookie. We had cookies. So I think that there is a there is a we have a model for there being a hundred percent. You see, in the, no, even what's not hundred percent in the universal sense, but each moment can be hundred percent and can be its own bliss. That's what I think it means. And then another example, which I, I quote you all the time, you know, the Gemara says that, we, and the brachas, I quote you all the time, the Gemara. From the here, if a person makes the invention, the person says, the person says, that Akash Baruch is, is, is sustaining us with all of his goodness, like a person, if he's from his goodness, getting somebody's a boor. And I said to you, and I, everybody knows, I said this word a million times, but the, the thing is, it's a, a tremendous leap going from the highest level of a Tamachachim to the lowest level of Boor. In the middle, you have, a, you have an Amart. No, he's either a Tamachachim or a Boor. 
And the answer is, as I understand, I'll tell you, Rashi says, because if he, don't, if he, doesn't, if he doesn't say bituvo, he's, he's limiting the goodness of God. No, what if he doesn't have a lot of food? It doesn't matter because Hashem's always giving 100%. That's the answer. A person with sensitivity knows it. And the fact that the person can say, here, you're talking about even a person that doesn't have a lot. The person can say, I got all of Hashem's goodness. It can't be a lie. It would be a mockery to say something that's not true. And I told you, ironically, I've, I haven't seen it in years. I hope it's still there. I hate quoting things that disappear. But I pretty the Prima got him in his halacha book. In his halacha book, he says, because it says, must be He says, the Sophie tables are lani. The last letters are lani for a poor person. That's what he says, must be Hashem satisfies everything. He, he's sustaining everything. Lani. And he's talking about, he brings it here by this din. Rahmanas, even the poor person, if he has enough, b- enough bread to bench on, he's saying bituvo. He's getting all of Hashem's goodness because the person has, he knows Hashem's giving 100%. So we see even, even where, so to speak, it's undeniable that in, in area X, Y, or Z, it's not the 100%. Yet it's 100%. And I, I would humbly submit to you that this is part of the mystical foundation of all existence. The fact that a thing that's not 100% is 100%. We're not Hashem, and yet we have a godly experience now and forever. We're going to go on for all eternity, coming closer to God, endlessly chasing godliness, and getting there, but never getting there. Yet every moment getting there, and every moment not being there, because there's no such thing, because only Hashem is going to be Hashem. Yet every moment we are, every moment we take one step forward, we're more godly than we were before. So how is that not an eternal frustration or an eternal, eternal Gehenim? And the answer is that's the gift that God gave us that we can be get 100% every moment. I realize the goodness pouring down on me from, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu feel pretty darn good. I told you, whatever it was, it was Friday morning Purim. I don't remember if it was Bishulish, whatever the story was. So I remember, she, I, 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 my first wife, she was, we had nothing with nothing. We had a, we had a mattress on the floor with a, with, a, with, a, with a quilt on top of it. That was the, that was the sofa. So I, I had gone out already to, to, make, uh, to hear the Megillah. And my wife, she has to be, she went out. So I sat down on the, on the mattress there. I took a cup of wine. I'm drinking. And I was thinking how wonderful my life was. Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm in Eretz Yisrael. I'm in Yushalayim. I'm learning Torah. I'm married. Such wonderful things. I, I, I started crying. And my wife walks in for the Megillah. She looks at me. I said, I'm so happy. <laughs> he starts laughing. She says, I can see. She says. <laughs> but that's the truth. That's the truth. A person, a person gets out. There, there is in the non-100%. I think we have models like Ez Rasha or Samet Pachalko, because some Muslims will look for other things, but yeah, there's such a thing that's right. Like the, the world makes a mistake because they think of because they're not reaching the end. You're never going to reach the end. Thank God. You're never going to reach the end for all eternity. We become closer to Hashem. I sack of every moment's not a new frustration. The answer is because Hashem put into that moment. That which allows a person to have a hundred percent. A person understands bituva Hashem understands that Hashem poured down all of the goodness. 
in this moment, which is not the end of the road, all Hashem's goodness is present. If you don't have all the food in the world, how'd you get all Hashem's goodness? If you don't have all the money in the world, how'd you get Hashem's goodness? The answer is Hashem built it into the moment. The atmosphere, the, the, the company, the weather, the temperature, the who knows? I don't know. The light, the shadow, there's something there to put 100% into every single moment. That's what I think. Anyway, these are two problems that I've been going around in my mind lately. I was talking about the, what was the, you know, so to speak, is the, is the, uh, is the perfection, so to speak, or the understanding of, of, of reality that Shem made, and that it's not going to, there's nothing, there's not, the, the first part that I try to explain, to I can't summarize everything, but the first part we said that, that whatever I need is here, and whatever, whatever is not here, I don't need. There's no value in pursuing the theoretical non-existence because, because it would have been here if it had value. Hashem didn't make the world by accident. And He didn't make it for something else. This place is not about... It's about me. It's about us. I mean, me and you. Yeah, we're all... Us. This is about us. Hashem didn't leave anything out. The only thing that was left out of this world is the world to come because it's not supposed to be here. There's nothing that's here that we don't need, and there's nothing that we don't need that's here, that's not that, that, that there's nothing that we that, there's nothing there's nothing here that we don't need, and there's nothing that we need that's not here. That's one. I don't mean typers. You understand what I'm talking about? And the uh, second point is you understand that that uh, even though you have this uh, unending uh, pathway to perfection to godliness. Every moment, somehow, not being the universal 100 is always 100. The second, that's what I believe. And I try to give two examples, which look for other ones. Anyway, that's the things I'm I just thinking about at the moment. And I, I, I'm happy to see everybody again. And I hope it's a wonderful Zman. And, uh, and I hope we prepare us properly for Rosh Hashanah and getting ready for a, really a, a wonderful, wonderful New Year. Thank you very much. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, brother.